Jeremiah 33, beginning in verse 14. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David and he will execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it shall be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Those of you who are Bible students, and I hope all of you are either are Bible students or are becoming a student of the Bible, one of the most basic things you need to begin to do is see the connection between what God spoke through the prophets and through the history and through the testimony in the Old Testament and how that was speaking to what God would fulfill and do in the New Testament. There have been over the, 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 the days of history those who have, um, who have, have, have made the case wrongly that what God did in the Old Testament was separated from what God does in the New Testament. That could not be further from what is true. So you go all the way back to Genesis and God's promise to Abraham. God was making a promise to Abraham that he would fulfill through Jesus. Building on that promise to Abraham, he made a promise to David that God would fulfill through Jesus. When Jesus comes in the flesh and dwells among us, all those promises that God had made and testified to through the prophets of the Old Testament were fulfilled. And that hope that we have in the promises fulfilled in Jesus is what gives us hope today that God will continue to fulfill every promise that he made, including the second coming of Jesus when all things will be made right. So we don't see a separation between the Old Testament and New. We see a continuation of God's promise and faithfulness all the way to the end of time. So this morning, as we consider this passage from Jeremiah, you're going to hear me speak a lot about the promises that God made to Abraham, the, God, the promises that you, God made to David, the promises that God makes to us, and the hope that we have in Jesus. And this is what I hope this morning. I hope those of you who understand and maybe are familiar with those promises that what will just ring true in your heart today is the fullness of God to bring about all of history under his sovereign will and bring about his, his, uh, his plan of redemption. For those of you who may not be familiar with Abraham and David and the Old Testament, that's okay too, because I do want you to hear this morning how God is making clear and God is providing for us salvation in Jesus. And listen, if you don't understand all the Old Testament references, that's okay. As you walk with the Lord, the Lord will continue to, to add those to your heart and mine. This is a promise. The passage that we're reading this morning is a promise for days to come. In fact, the, the word begins with that, that hopeful word, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. Now, when we think about a promise, the power of a promise is founded on, is based on who is making the promise. So when the pitch man tells you that their product is the best product in the whole wide world and if you would just buy their product, all your problems will be solved, you hear those promises with a bit of skepticism uh, because you understand they're trying to sell you their, their product. And so you, 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 you discount some of that. But 
But when the, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who is eternally, um, who is eternal and all, all the way past and all the way present and all the way future makes a promise, that has some significance. And one of the testimonies of Scripture is, is that over and over again, God is fulfilling his promise. There is not one promise that God makes that he does not fulfill. And so when God makes this promise to Judah, that there's going to come days that are going, I'm going to restore you back going to raise up a king for you. That is a promise of significance and power. Chapter 33 in Jeremiah is a hopeful word in the midst of a very difficult season for Judah. Jeremiah was a prophet ministering in the, um, in the uh, late 7th and the early 6th centuries B.C. He was most of his prophecy was prophesying the deportation of the elites of Judah um, that would come in 597 B.C. And he had talked about how God was going to allow the destruction of Jerusalem that would, uh, and further deportations after that that would come in 587 and 586 B.C. Those are not happy words. Those are not good words. I mean, the, the basic message of Jeremiah is God's going to allow your precious city, the temple of God, to be destroyed. Your elites and then most of the, the leading people to be carried off into captivity and the, the kingdom of Judah to be completely brought to its knees. Now, Jerusalem, Judah had experienced a brief moment of revival. Most of the kings of the split kingdom were not godly men. But, but you may remember a, a king by the name of Josiah. Josiah was an interesting king. He, was, he, he, didn't, he didn't know everything to do, but he knew that it was probably a good idea to do some restoration work on the temple that had been allowed to grow in disrepair because of his father and his grandfather were wicked men. They had allowed all kinds of pagan things to enter into the land. Josiah didn't know what to do, but he knew we ought to start at least with rebuilding and refurbishing the temple. And while they were there, they found the book of the law. How bad does it have to be for God's people to have so long walked away from the, from the Lord that they forgot that they even had a copy of God's word? It's a bad day. But they found it in the temple. They read it to Josiah. He, he recognized that this was God's word, and from that began a, a work of some people call it revival. Um, some people call it a, a reformation. But, but, he, but he began to tear down the pagan altars that had been built in the high places. He began a work of trying to, to rid the temple of pagan worship there. And then they had brought pagan worship into the temple and, and, and did a, a, a fairly good job of trying to rid the land of idol worship. When Josiah died, things began to slowly revert back to where they had been. And that's where Jeremiah is writing. And one of the interesting things that's happening in these days is God's people did not stop temple worship. They were still going to church every, uh, every Sabbath day. They were doing the things that they were supposed to do. But the best way to understand it is outwardly they were obeying God, but inwardly they were as rebellious as they'd ever been. They were allowing idol worship to creep back in. Uh, Jeremiah and other prophets had written and prophesied to them and warned them, turn your hearts to God. He sees your heart. He knows what is truly between your ears and, and, and in your chest. And if you're outwardly worshiping but privately sinning, God knows that. 
but the people would not listen to the prophets. And so now Jeremiah is bringing the, 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 the word of God's wrath upon them, the word of God's judgment upon them, and he's going, God's going to allow the people to be taken into captivity and the temple to be destroyed. Now that's pretty significant because one of the things that allowed Judah to continue in their sin without much worry is they thought because they were God's people and because they had the temple of God, it didn't really matter if they sinned, if they rebelled, if they, idol, uh, if they worshiped idols. God was never going to allow the temple to be destroyed and God was not going to allow them to be taken into captivity. But that was not to be, to be true. And Jeremiah has written to them, has prophesied to them that God's going to bring a great punishment upon them. That's a pretty depressing word. Can you imagine if my ministry, my entire ministry was to tell you that you're going to be taken into captivity by a foreign government and everything that you had built and everything that was precious to you was going to be torn down and destroyed? Don't think I'd be a very popular preacher if that was what my calling was. And that's exactly what Jeremiah had spent his ministry doing. But then you have this word in chapter 33. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord. And in this passage, God is speaking about a day that is coming when he's going to restore Judah. He's going to restore the kingdom of Judah and going to bring them back. Now, there's a principle here that we need to understand as we walk through this passage, and that is that when prophets are writing, they are speaking to the people of their day, but so often God is also using them to speak beyond their day as well. One of the commentaries that I, that I really enjoy reading uses this in the sense of horizons, and he describes it this way. He says, you, as you study, you'll discover that Jeremiah had two horizons in view. The near horizon of the return of the exiles to Judah and the further horizon of the gathering of Israel in the end of times from the nations of the earth. And so as we walk through this passage this morning, we'll speak about that near horizon of God allowing Judah to be taken into captivity and the hope of them returning. They would return. But we're also going to speak much about that further horizon when Jesus comes when the King of kings and the Lord of lords comes and the fullness of these promises are made. Now, I mentioned to you already that there's a lot of promises here that God is fulfilling. To Abraham, God promised to make him a father of many nations, to give him a land, and to bless all the families of the earth through him. We're going to see how Jesus fulfills those promises. Building on Abraham's promise, God said to David, who was a descendant of Abraham, he said to David, your, your throne will last forever, and your descendant will sit on your throne forever, and it will last forever and ever and ever. And you can imagine, as, as the Judeans are looking at their nation being crumbled by foreign invaders, the temple being destroyed, they had to wonder how in the world that promise to David was going to be fulfilled. And yet God says here, I'm going to raise up a shoot, a branch out of the house for David. In other words, I'm going to fulfill that promise that I made to David, and he's going to fulfill it through Jesus. And we'll talk about how that is to come. I want to divide our time this morning in these three ways. Number one, God makes a faithful promise. God fulfills every promise he makes, and this too is a faithful promise. Number two, two our hope is in a righteous Savior, not in a political king or in a government or economics, but in a righteous king. And then lastly, this, this, our hope is bound up in hoped for redemption. And we'll just break that in verse 14, verse 15, and verse 16, each in their order. Let's begin in verse 14 with a faithful promise. God says in verse 14, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of 
Judah. Now there's a couple of things happening here. The first is that there's a promise here to redeem God's people. Judah was going to experience the consequence of their sin. God had sent them warnings through his prophets. He gave them his, his word to testify to his holiness, to their sin, and a call to redemption. But they had not heeded that. And at this point in the prophet's message, it's too late. The consequences are coming and God's judgment is about to befall them. There were likely many in the land that felt like they had gone far, too far for God to redeem them. Can you imagine a people who had allowed pagan, wicked worship to be brought right into the temple? Surely some of them have felt like when the destruction of God came and they rightly understood this is God's judgment on us because of our sin, many of them probably felt like, man, we've gone way too far. We've done too much wickedness. We've defiled the holy place of the living God too much for him to redeem us now. There were likely some who thought that they had missed their opportunity to be redeemed. Had God not brought a word from the prophets to warn them? Had God not begged them to turn their hearts away from their sin? Listen, I've never had a conversation with somebody who was experiencing the consequence of their sin that didn't say to me, listen, I knew I should not have done this. I knew I should not have done this. Did not God give me plenty of opportunities to turn away from this, to warn me? And I'm sure there were many in this land at this moment who felt like that they, that they had missed their opportunity to ever be redeemed again. Oh, friends, what amazing grace that even in the context of prophesying uh, judge, the judgment of God, God was also looking forward to a day when true redemption would come, that he would restore the land and that he would redeem us through Jesus. Here it is, friends. The, re the hope of the gospel is God's redemption. Now, here's a good Bible study for you. In every place in Scripture that I can think of where God brings a word of judgment, there's also a word of redemption. Can you say amen to that? In every place where God brings a word of judgment, there is also a word of redemption. Just go to the New Testament. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, that is the word of judgment. But it also says that he gave us Jesus who takes away the sin of the world. The hope of the gospel is God's redemption. These days that Jeremiah is speaking to here have come. Jesus has come to be the sacrifice for our sin. Jesus did die for the forgiveness of our sin. Today, dear friends, is the day of salvation. To Judah, God said, behold, days are coming. But when Jesus was born, the angels declared for unto us, born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In other words, these days were fulfilled when Jesus stepped into this glorious world. A promise to redeem was fulfilled in Jesus. And this certainly is a promise for the future. The phrase that, that is used here, behold, the days are coming, is a hopeful word looking toward a future day. For the people of Jeremiah's day, these words point to the day when God would restore them back to the land after his judgment on them. And Jeremiah was looking toward a day when the fullness of God's promises were fulfilled. Now, he connects here all sorts of things when he starts talking about the, the, um, the, 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 the branch of, um, of David, but it goes even all the way back to Abraham. And so to Abraham, God made a covenant that had three major parts. First, there was a land. 
a land that God would give Abraham and his descendants. And then there was the, the seed or the, 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 uh, that, that he would be a father of many nations. And, and, and we understand that was more than just, just his blood lineage. But in the New Testament, we see that as a faith lineage as well. And then he talks about that he would bless all the families of the world through him. Building on that, God then said to David, King David, a descendant of Abraham, that his kingdom would be established forever and his, 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 that his descendants would sit on the throne forever. In the context in which Jeremiah was writing, these promises look as though they were not going to be honored. The land that God had given Abraham looked like it was going to be taken over by foreign invaders. The blessing of a mighty nation looked like it was going to be destroyed. The people of God were going to be wiped out by foreign invaders. It was, it was a thing that when you, when you brought people into captivity, most often they were never heard of again because they intermarried and their line was lost into their captors. And how in the world was God going to bless all the families of the earth through Abraham if his line of his lineage did not continue? It looked like things were not going well. In 609 BC, King Josiah was killed in battle. He was really the last good king of Judah. His son only ruled for about three months before he was deposed by Egypt. And from that moment on, Egypt really ruled Judah. They put uh, a brother on the, on, on, the, uh, on the throne, but they were a vassal state until they were conquered and taken into captivity. These precious words that Jeremiah is speaking in this, in this passage are pointing to a day that would come, and they remind us that no matter what the current situation looks like, God is always working out his will. God is always fulfilling his promises. God is always in control. You know, the reality of it is, in the moment when Jeremiah spoke these words, most people would have probably said, there's no way God's going to fulfill his promise to Abraham. Can't happen now. When Jeremiah spoke these words, that probably most people thought there's no way the promise to David can be fulfilled. It can't happen now. Too much is lost. It's over. It's over. And yet he says, behold, days are coming, reminding us that God is working to fulfill his promises. He is always in control. Dear friend, God would keep his promise to Judah. He would keep his promise to David. He would keep his promise to Abraham, and he keeps his promises to you and I as well. Somebody say amen. All these promises were fulfilled in Jesus. Notice in verse 14, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, Jeremiah makes a pretty clear distinction about these promises. He says, behold, days are coming. And what does he say next? Declares the Lord. Now, I can make you a promise, but I can't make sure that promise will be fulfilled. But when God makes a promise, dear friends, it will come to pass. Our faith in Jesus to save us from sin is built on the faithfulness of God to fulfill these promises. Our faith that Jesus will return is built on the faithfulness of God to fulfill every promise he makes. God is a faithful promise maker. There's a second thing here. We see that in verse 15, and that is that we serve and have a righteous Savior. So look at what he says. Verse 15, he says, and in those days, so as I'm fulfilling the promise in the days to come, in those days and at that time, I will cause. Who is going to cause this? God is going to cause. I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. In other words, for the promise that I made David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. 
What Jeremiah is prophesying is that God was going to raise up a perfect king. In verse 15, God declares that he will raise up a righteous branch for David. This is a word that he's already spoken. Um, In in, in chapter 23, uh, verse 5 of Jeremiah, says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and dwell wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Now, the history of Judah is is recounted through the history of the kings. And so when you tell the story of both the, 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 the united kingdom of Israel, and then when you tell the history of the split kingdoms of the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, you tell that history through the testimony of the kings. When Judah had righteous kings, she did well. And when Judah had wicked kings, she defiled herself with idol worship and turned rebelliously against the Lord. So the image that Jeremiah draws in verse 15 for us is of a sprig growing out of a stump that everyone thought was dead. You've had those things in your your yard, hadn't you? A tree that you've cut down, you thought was dead, then all of a sudden, boop, comes up a little sprout. That's the image. It looks weak, doesn't it? It looks like you can knock it over easily, but that's the image God is using. Out of a stump you thought was dead, I'm going to raise up a branch, a twig, sprout for David. Because of Judah's sin, it seemed like the kingdom was lost. Because of Judah's sin, it seemed like the house and throne of David would be no more. But God's promises are not dependent on us or our ability. They are singularly dependent on the sovereignty of God. Judah may have abandoned God, but God had not abandoned Judah. Praise God for that. You may have turned away from God, but God has not turned away from you. Jesus came to a broken and rebellious world to fulfill God's promise to David and to establish not a kingdom for man, but a kingdom of God. And he would be a righteous king, a righteous branch for the house of David. Jesus is not like the kings that went before. Jesus is the perfect king. Jesus is the righteous king. Jesus is the eternal king. Oh, the hope, dear friends, that is found in the perfect king of Jesus. Jeremiah says in those days, righteousness will be established. Under the king in the reign of David, Israel had known their greatest moments. And so when you think about the history of Israel, just think at the very peak of that is the kingdom and the rule of David. That's where it all was its best. Really from there on, it kind of goes, it doesn't kind of, it goes downhill until you get to Jesus. Under the reign of David's son, Solomon, Israel had celebrated the building of the temple in the presence of God, filling it up. It's a pretty amazing testimony in Scripture. After Solomon, the kingdom split, and there were few, very few righteous kings. By the time you get to Jeremiah's day, uh, he is ministering to Judah, and everything is polluted with sin. Temple worship continued, but the hearts of the people were far from God. They kept the outward show of religion, but they had allowed all kinds of wickedness to invade and pollute and pervert their worship. Dear friends, the work of God is not simply to restore governments and economies. God is restoring hearts and lives to himself. The promise of Jesus was a promise to restore God's people to himself. Get this right. 
When Jeremiah speaks of a day to come, he's not saying, oh, there's going to be a day when we're going to get the temple rebuilt and it's going to look just as good as it used to look. He's not saying there's coming a day when we're going to get all the right words coming out of our mouth and all the right stuff. Looking. No, he says there's coming a day when there'll be a righteous branch, a righteous branch, a perfect king, Jesus, and he's going to establish righteousness. That's not outward. That's from the inside out. Come on now. God is restoring hearts and lives to himself. The promise of Jesus was a promise to restore God's people to God himself. Not an outward false show of religion, but true heart devotion to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The Bible says of Jesus that he is both the just and the justifier. Paul speaks of him in this way. He says, "All for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a guilt, as a, as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the just Justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Dear friends, righteousness is established through King Jesus and the kingdom of God. Jesus justifies sinners and he executes ju righteous judgment over the whole world. He is a righteous, there's, there's hope for redemption. And then one last thing here, we see this in verse 16, that there is hope for redemption. So as God raises up a king, King Jesus, shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Look in verse 16. In those days, Judah will be saved. That sounds like good news, doesn't it? Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And then God gives a name for Jerusalem. And he says, and this is the name by which it shall be called. The Lord is our righteousness. And just a couple of things here. He speaks about being saved from our enemies. What, what sweet and hopeful words those are. In those days, Judah will be saved. Listen, friends, I don't know if you've ever been in trouble. I don't know if you've ever been under attack. I don't know if you've ever been in those moments where you thought if something doesn't happen for your benefit, all things are going to be lost. But when you have experienced that in your life, those words, you will be saved, are precious indeed. I think when we think about the days of being saved and living securely, we are living in those days. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about death and its lack of victory. Where he writes, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is, uh, is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And when we think about enemies, when we think about what it means to be saved there is no greater enemy, there is no greater threat than sin and death. Armies can be defeated. Some natural disasters can be survived. Poverty can be overcome. 
But it doesn't matter who you are, what you are, or what you have. No man, no woman can overcome the threat, the danger of death. The Bible says death is coming for us all. And then the judgment. But in Jesus. Hear me now. But in Jesus who died for our sins, there is salvation. Amen. In Jesus, who is the sacrifice for our sin debt, there is security to dwell in the presence of God. Amen. In Jesus, who rose from the dead, there is victory. There is victory over death. What does it mean to be saved, Judah? What does it mean to be saved, Jerusalem? What does it mean to be saved, O Christian? It doesn't mean that you escape from your earthly enemies. It doesn't mean that you have enough money to buy what you need. It means that the very threat of death is no more. In those days, says the Lord, Judah will be saved. The enemy of man will be conquered, and those days have come in Jesus. But I think you can also say here, not only will we be saved from our, from our enemies, but we will be saved from our sin. Earlier in chapter 23, Jeremiah tells us that the name of Jesus will be the Lord is righteousness. Now, in this passage, Jeremiah declares that Jerusalem will also be known by that name. The Lord is our righteousness. Now, this didn't happen when the exiles returned to Jerusalem after captivity, but it does happen when Jesus returns for his saints. Let me draw your attention to maybe my favorite passage, and I read this passage at almost every funeral that I preach because I think at that moment, more than any other moment, it's a pretty important passage to read. John sees a revelation of the coming New heaven and new earth. In Revelation chapter 21, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of, the, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. And here's the best line. For the former things have passed away. Friends, the promise of the new heaven and the new earth is a promise for those who have been saved from their sin through the redemption of Jesus. The former things, the former things are everything that is corrupted by sin. Everything you and I know this side of heaven is stained and corrupted by sin. It's why this world is a dangerous place to live. It's why our bodies are falling apart because everything is under the curse of sin. But in Jesus and only through the salvation of Jesus and the forgiveness of our sin can you dwell in the safety and the security of the presence of God in the new heaven, in the new earth, in glorified bodies where Jesus is our Lord and righteousness is our hope and there are no more things of the former things. Oh, friends, we hope in that. We long for that. 
Not in the sense of, well, I just hope it'll be, but don't expect it to be. No, we hope for it with full expectation because every other promise that God has ever made has been fulfilled. And so our trust and our hope in the future promise of Jesus coming again stands on the faithfulness of every other promises that he's made. I was thinking just how to, how to connect this with where we are today. And I don't want to be overly pessimistic. That doesn't tend to be my personality, and I don't want to sort of push that too hard. But, but can we agree that these are not the best days we've ever lived in? There does seem to be a depressive spirit, not just in the United States, but, but globally right now. It's just writing down some things that, that have been recent. So the news tells us that rising inflation, so whatever money you have today is not worth as much as it was yesterday. On top of rising inflation, we've got rising taxes, and so they're going to take more away from you than you used to be taken away from you. You're going to have less, which is a pretty big deal when you live in a, in a, con- a cultural context that's consumer-driven, and so much of our, our world is, is driven by that. We are seeing a lowering of standard of living. Many of you grew up in the context where parents uh, hoped their children would live better than themselves, and yet we're seeing that that has stagnated, and now even the hope of children living at the same level of their parents is, is slipping away. For the last two years, our whole world has been crippled by a pandemic. The news is out now that there's a new wave coming, and friends, there will probably be a new wave after that too. Shortages on everything from household goods to to medicine. Then you add in the social stuff, council culture, riots, looting, civil unrest, out-of-control homelessness, drug use, instability in foreign governments. That's some bad news. That's some unsettling news. It would be very, very hard in this context to say with a straight face, I think the world's getting better every day, day by day. I believe there is a deeper spiritual root to the world's malaise today. The malaise of our day is not economic or political or medical or social. I think the malaise of our day is spiritual. Follow with me here. For many years, our world has placed our hope in the strength and growth of the economy to support a consumer-driven world that seeks to find satisfaction, purpose, and worth in the things that we can buy and the things that we can own. For many years, our world has placed our hope in the amazing skills and advancements of modern medicine to overcome our own health issues, both natural and self-inflicted. And as our world has grown more secular, there has also been a growth in reliance on government to protect, to provide everything we need. For all the economic power that's been gained, medical advancements, that have been achieved and laws written, it seems that depression, anxiety, other mental health issues are greater today than they've ever been before. There is no hope, friends, in the economy. It will rise, it will fall, and wealth can evaporate quicker than you can see it go. 
There is no hope in modern medicine. There are viruses that have no cures. And for that matter, the, the advancements, for all the advancements of, uh, of modern medicine, there will never, ever be a cure to the great issue of death. There's no hope in government. Governments rise and falls, but none lasts forever. I think even in the church, we have, we have given ourselves to placing too much faith, too much hope in whether or not our guy wins or our guy loses. There's no hope in government. And I think that's right where Jeremiah was speaking. Sometimes it takes the falling apart of what you thought had hope for you to turn your attention to what really has hope. It's painful. It's really painful. Can you imagine being the people of God, Judah, hearing the words of the prophet and some of them living to see it come when the temple of God that was so gloriously filled by the presence of God during Solomon's reign to be torn down. Brick by brick, brick, stone by stone. I think that'd be a cause for a pretty depressive day too. And into that brokenness, listen to me, into that depression, Jeremiah says, behold, days are coming. And friends, I'm here to tell you today, behold, days have come. Jesus has come. He is the Lord of righteousness who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one who establishes his temple in your hearts that cannot be torn down. Oh, dear friends, he is the one who establishes his kingdom fulfilling the promise to, to David, and that kingdom will last forever and ever, and he will be our forever righteous king. He is the one who provides for, uh, for Abraham's promise to be fulfilled, that all those who believe in faith will be counted as part of Abraham's children. He is the one who fulfills the promise to bless all the families of the earth through salvation and the cross. He is the one who gives the land, no longer Jerusalem in the Middle East, but the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem coming down that will be called the Lord is our righteousness. The whole days are coming. The whole days have come. And our hope is bound up. Our hope is founded on Jesus, our King. Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 1030 a.m. 
For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening. And until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King and all for the kingdom.